Well, good morning. We're all doing well. Thanks for blaring or blaring out the lights. I don't, I don't know what that, what I was even getting ready to say. Thanks for braving the weather this morning and coming out. Pretty cool to have thunderstorms. Like I don't think we've had those for a long time. So a lot of rain. Cool. Um, just welcome. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I hope you guys are are going to get some rest and, and get some stuff done. The weather's supposed to be nice the rest of the day is what they were telling me out in the foyer. So people are going golfing and doing some other things. So looking forward to that. Um, uh, just just welcome. Just thank you, thank you, thank you for, for being here. Um, I know times are, are different and we're kind of moving into um, different things and we're kind of getting used to some some new things. And so so thanks for being here. Um, if you've got a Bible, Ruth chapter 3 is where we're going. We are in week number 3 of a series called Bouncing Forward. And remember, we're not, we're not bouncing back and we're not going into even what we would consider a new normal or how things were before. Um, we're stepping into what God has for us next. And, and, and that's, that's always going to be something greater than what we were in before. And so even though it seems like um, we're in difficult times, we're in dark times, what God has for us next is greater than what he had for us before. And we believe that that in Christ the best is always yet to come. And so we're excited about what he has for us next. And so that's why we're in this series called Bouncing Forward. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm super excited about things beginning around us to bounce forward. The governor um, is starting to open things back up. Um, we're in discussions of what phase two of Central is going to look like and, and when we can get into that. Um, we found out this week that high school baseball and softball can start June 1st. And I, yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm also the coach at Carroll High, their softball team. And so um, softball is like life at our house. And so like the thought of not having that was like leading into depression. And so we're super pumped up. We, we love baseball too. Our son plays baseball. Um, and so we're excited about baseball. Um, but but here, here's the thing. Um, there was talk like, like, Summer baseball and softball happening is huge because there was legitimately behind-the-scenes talk, and there's still some rumblings of it, that if that didn't happen, there would be no fall sports, like no volleyball, no football. Can you imagine no high school football? Could you imagine? Like, I love going to high school football. I love watching my son play. Um, he's pretty good. P- people ask us when, when they see Jared play um, in, in different sports, they're like, who does he get his athletic ability from, you or Mary? I don't, we don't know. Um, in the first service, she had her hand raised like it was her. And I'm like, ah, uh, I've seen you run, girl. I don't know. Like, <laughs> she's not in here, so I can say that. <laughs> I'm going to die when she sees it online, though. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I got to stay focused. I got I to, gotta, like, have, you, have I mentioned I'm out of preaching shape? Like, it's only week three, man. I'm getting back into it. Anyway, um, I, I wasn't good at football. Like, I didn't play football. I didn't play high school football um, because I was small and I was skinny and I was white. Um, I did kick for a season, which is a whole other message for another time. Um, but the thing I, I, I do remember about playing football, and if you've, if you've played football or you've watched football, you'll, you'll kind of get this illustration. Um, I, I heard a pastor, uh, actually a few have, have used a similar illustration, and so I'm kind of taking this from them. Um, but if you've ever watched football, 
um, you, you remember this, or you, you know this, that, that before a play is ran, they'll get into a huddle, and they call the play. And then they do like the ready, break, right? Or one, two, three, break. And they run out to the line, and they line up, and, and, and they run the play. Usually when they break out of the huddle, there's a little bit of excitement, especially if it's like third and one or third and two or whatever, or the kicker gets to come into the game and kick the winning field goal or whatever. Usually there's some excitement when you break the huddle. But let's play pretend for a minute, because we like to play pretend around here. Let's pretend that you went to a football game, and you're sitting there, and you're watching your favorite team. The game's getting ready to start. Your team, team takes the field. They've got the ball. You're <coughs> Sorry, that's not COVID, I swear. <coughs> I promise. It's just like something just swallowed from. That wasn't good. Um, but you're watching your team take the field. They've got the ball. They huddle up, and they never break the huddle. Like, like the clock runs out, and they get a delay of game penalty. And so they move the ball back, and they go, and they huddle up, and, and, and they're in the huddle, and they're talking, and they never say, ready, break. They never break the huddle. So they get another delay of game penalty. And, and so they move the ball back, and they huddle up, and at this point, you're wondering what the heck is going on, and you're sitting on the edge of your seat in eager anticipation and excitement, wanting to know what's going to happen, and they never break the huddle. For the whole game... They never break the huddle. Like they just keep getting moved back and back, keep getting penalty after penalty after penalty until the very last minute. In the very last minute of the game, they break the huddle. They ready, break. They come running up and they line up, but they never run the play. Now, as a football fan, quick question. This is not a trick question. This is a simple question. As a football fan, are you happy with your team's performance right there, yes or no? No, none of us would be. But see, in the football world, we, we would be upset with that. We would call that non-performance. But in the church world, we call that discipleship. And what I mean by that is that in the church, a lot of people love to huddle up and talk about the play that we could run. We love to huddle up and talk about the play that we should run, but we don't actually run the plays. And, and the reason why is to kind of bring it back into a football illustration. Because see, in, in football, sometimes the play doesn't work. Sometimes, sometimes the play the coach calls in is, is a little bit intimidating. Anytime you run a play, you're going to experience opposition because there's another team that's trying to stop you. Nobody's just going to stand aside and say, well, score, like just, just go into it. Nobody's going to do that. And sometimes when you go out to run a play and the play doesn't work the way the fans expected it to, when it doesn't work to their expectations, the home, the home team will boo you. You know what I'm talking about? You'll start booing your own team if they're not performing really, really, really well. Yes or no? Yes, Fairweather fans. <laughs> this happens in the church a lot too. As I talk about next steps, as I talk about stepping into who God has called us to, to, to be, as I, as I talk about you taking the next step that God has called you to do, a lot of people won't step into what God is calling them to do because they're afraid of the home team booing them when all they're doing is actually stepping into what God has called them to do in the first place. We're so obsessed with what other people are going to think about us and, and how we're going to be perceived that we won't step into what God is saying. And so today, we're going to talk about bouncing into grace, the grace of God. And you might say, well, Ryan, what does grace and execution have to do with each other? They have everything to do with each other. Because I think when we truly understand the grace of God, when we truly understand the grace of God, we'll stop talking about the play that God has called us to run. When we truly understand the grace of God, we'll stop thinking about the play that God has called us to run. 
When we truly understand the grace of God, we'll stop praying about the play God has called us to run. When we truly understand the grace of God, we will actually step in and run the play that God has called us to run as we bounce forward in his grace. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, this is where we're going. The grace of God pushes me to go. The grace of God pushes me to go, even when I don't know exactly how things are going to turn out. The grace of God pushes me to go, even when I don't know how things are going to turn out. Now, real quick review. Ruth chapter 1, we saw this guy named Elimelech. Elimelech had led his family away from Bethlehem. Bethlehem represented the presence of God and the people of God. But Elimelech led his family, his wife and two kids, away from there because there was a famine. They went to Moab. You were not supposed to go to Moab. Moab was a wicked, evil place. You were not to go to Moab if you were an Israelite. They go to Moab, they get immersed in Moabite culture. The boys grow up in it. You weren't supposed to marry Moabite women, but the boys, Malon and Kilion, married Moabite women, two, two girls named Orpha and Ruth. After 10 years, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion all died. Finally, Naomi, Elimelech's wife, hears that God is doing something amazing in Bethlehem, that God is moving, that there's a harvest coming, and God's pulling on her hearts, and so she begins to take steps back towards Bethlehem. Ruth comes with her, Orpha does not. Last week, we saw that Ruth went out into the field. Remember, we said that, we said that Ruth didn't know exactly what to do, and so she just did the next right thing. She knew there was an opportunity to go out in the field, so she starts working out in the field. She's taking her next steps. She's waiting on God to say what is next. She's waiting on God to move. She's seeing, she's seeing God doing, um, or Naomi's been talking to her about God on the journey, and she knows this journey, and so she just wants to do what's next. And so she's working out in the field of a man named Boaz. Boaz thinks she's hot. Asked her out on a lunch date. Remember that? And, and then the next day, she goes back to work. She goes back out to see Boaz. She keeps taking her next steps. She kept going back to work. She kept, going, she kept working. She didn't sit idle. She didn't sit in, in a place of entitlement and say, somebody finally recognized me. I'm going to sit here. The, the owner of the field saw me. She, she kept going. She kept going. She said, I'm going to keep stepping until I clearly hear from God what is next. And for seven or eight weeks, she goes back to work, and she never sees Boaz again. He hasn't called. He hasn't written. He's just kind of left her on red. That's where we're going to talk. That's where we're going to pick things up and talk about today. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you'll be provided for. In other words, don't miss this. <laughs> She's like, Ruth, it's time to get married and get out the house. That's exactly what she's saying right here. Like, like, I don't know if you've got like a 25, 30-year-old daughter that's like living at home or whatever. It's usually not daughters, it's sons, right? Boy, it's about time to stop playing Xbox. You got the basement, do something with your life. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> what's amazing here is Naomi. Don't miss this. Naomi, Naomi was an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. So you've got an Israelite and you've got a Moabite. And right here, Naomi is telling Ruth, as funny as it sounds, if it's time for you to get out, she's saying, I'm about to help. Everybody say help. Help. I'm about to help you get out of my house and get married. That is huge. That is gigantic. Naomi is saying to Ruth, you know what? I want to help you take your next step. I want to help you become who God wants you to be. I want to help you do what God has called you to do. I want to help you bounce forward. The reason this is so fascinating is the Israelites were not supposed to help the Moabites. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, it says this, no 
Ammonite or Moabite, and what was Ruth? She was a Moabite, right? No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants for 10 generations. That's a long time. For 10 generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. And so think about this. You've got Naomi and you've got Ruth. Naomi is technically a church person. Ruth is technically an unchurched person. And so basically what's happening right here is the Bible is saying the church person can't help the unchurched person. The unchurched person can't come to church. Don't miss that. Ruth couldn't even go to the assembly. But the message here for us is so profound. Just because you've been excluded from the assembly doesn't mean you've been excluded from the grace of God. Just because you've been excluded from the assembly doesn't mean you've been excluded from the grace of God. There are probably people watching this right now. The reason they're watching is because they don't feel like they can go into church. But but the reality is this. When we understand the grace of God, it allows us to walk into church in freedom because the grace of God always allows us to walk in freedom. The grace of God allows us to walk in freedom. If there's a place that will not allow you to walk in because of who you are or what you've done, they don't understand the grace of God. They really don't. They don't. This gets deeper, though. Watch this. Um, Deuteronomy 23, verse 6 says this. As long as you live, you must never promote the welfare and prosperity of the Ammonites or the Moabites. And so God, just a few books earlier, before Ruth happened, had told the Israelites, you can't help those people. Those people over there, you've got to leave alone. These are our people, and those are those people. And you can't help those people. Stay away from those people. Don't talk to those people. Don't go near those people. Do you see that? Do not, look what it says, as long as you live, you must not promote the welfare or the prosperity, the Ammonites or the Moabites. Now, think about this for a second, because honestly, this is confusing, right? I mean, how do we reconcile this? Is Naomi disobeying the word of God? If so, how do we justify that? I mean, this is a little bit messy. As, I, as I'm digging into this, as I'm studying this week, I'm like, man, this is kind of jacked up. This kind of contradicts itself. Like, this is, this is messy. Naomi is doing something that on the surface, God has very clearly said, do not do. L- look at it again. Don't promote the prosperity of the Ammonites or the Moabites. Don't help. Don't help. And so the question becomes, how in the world can Naomi justify this? I think it's very simple. Naomi wasn't looking at the Moabites. She was looking at Ruth. In other words, don't miss this because this is so good. She wasn't looking at those people. Don't touch those people. Don't talk to those people. Don't near those people. She wasn't, she wasn't looking at those people. She was looking at this person. And in actuality, to her, those people had become this person who had become her person. It's amazing how the unconditional grace of God can flow out of us when we stop looking at those people and start looking at this person. I'll talk more about that in a second. It's going to be lots of fun. You guys are going to love it. Naomi is like, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you because you're my people. And so I'm going to help you get married. I'm going to help you out. Even though the Bible says don't help those people, she's kind of stepping into it. And then it gets weird. Verse 2, Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, there's two parts of this, and they're both really weird. The first part is, Naomi says, the man I have picked out for you is Boaz. Now, what is it about Boaz? Seriously, 
Why, why do you think Naomi picked Boaz out of all the men in Israel, out of all the fish in the sea? Why did she pick Boaz? I think it's because of the grace of God. Because, see, Boaz had a backstory. And listen, the thing that we need to remember about everybody that we lock eyes with is everybody has a story. Every single person that we see has a story. And every story matters to God. Boaz's story goes all the way back to when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They get set free. They're getting ready to invade uh, and take, take, get, get into Israel to, to get into the promised land. And they have to invade some cities on the way. The first city they're going to come to is a city called Jericho. You know this story. They get to Jericho. They march around seven times. The walls fall down. Um, but in order to get to that point, a guy named Joshua sent some spies into Jericho to check things out. And this is what happens real quick. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp. He instructed them to scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Hold up. Anybody ever thought that's a little bit weird? Anybody ever heard this like taught in church? Like two guys just happened to show up at the prostitute's house? Like, huh? I mean, this is the Bible. This isn't the kid's Bible. This isn't the kid's version of the story. This isn't the veggie tale version of the story. This is the, this is the Bible. They went to the, the, they didn't go to Bornero's. That's where I would have went. They didn't go to Hy-Vee. They didn't go to Walmart because they'd still be in line waiting to take into the promised land. Like, they, you can't go anywhere if you go to Walmart. No, these two guys show up at the prostitute's house. And we're just supposed to read that as like, okay, that's normal. That's not normal. That's crazy. Look at this. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, there were men here earlier, but I don't know where they were from. So she's lying. It gets worse. Look at this. Verse 5. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you could probably catch up to them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. And so what went on after this is they told her, hey, because you have helped us, because you have rescued us, when we invade and conquer Jericho, and make no mistake about it, we're about to come in and we're about to take over all of Jericho. When we come in and we do that, you're going to survive. Now, don't miss this. Because of what she did, Rahab, the prostitute, survived. And the Bible says that she lived among the Israelites. Listen, don't, don't miss this. This is huge. Lived among the Israelites as a foreigner, as an outsider, lived among the Israelites as a foreigner who was known to be sexually immoral. Do you see, do you see that? She was a prostitute. And now she's living amongst the Israelites. Rahab lived as a foreigner who was known to be sexually immoral. Why are you telling us this, Ryan? Ruth was from Moab. We saw last week that Ruth, when Boaz showed her kindness, she said, why are you showing me kindness? I am only a foreigner. Ruth was a foreigner from Moab. The Moabites were known to be sexually immoral. So you've got Rahab, a foreigner, who's known to be sexually immoral. And you've got Ruth, who's a foreigner from a place where they're known to be sexually immoral. <laughs> this is so huge. Do you see this? You're like, Ryan, why does this matter? I'll show you why it matters. Later on in the Bible, like when you're reading through the genealogy in Matthew, where it says so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and this person begot this person, and it's going through all of that, the lineage of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it says Solomon 
was the father of Boaz, whose mother was, anybody want to guess? Rahab. Do you think, do you, yes or no, do you think Boaz grew up knowing what it was like to deal with somebody who had a reputation, yes or no? Yes. Boaz grew up with a mom who was a foreigner who had a reputation. And now here's Ruth who's a foreigner, who has a reputation. Do you see this? Who better to extend the grace of God to Ruth than Boaz? To Boaz, Ruth wasn't those people. Ruth was this person. She was this person. This person. So let me ask you a question, and let's get practical. I told you, this will be fun. Um, (laughs) This was fun and tense when there was nobody in the room when we recorded this. This was awesome last service, and I'm sure it'll be even more fun this service. Who are those people when it comes to you? Who are they? Who are those people? Don't talk to those people. Don't go near those people. We don't associate with those people. We don't want nothing to do with those people. Those people always do. Those people are this. Those people. Who are those people when it comes to you? Who are they? Who are those people? Let's start with the current situation happening around us. This is an easy one. Are those people people who wear masks or people who don't wear masks? Because even if you ain't going to say it out loud, you've got an opinion, right? And you know whether you're wearing one or not wearing one, you're getting looks from people who are wearing one or not wearing one, and you're feeling something inside. You're feeling judgment, and you're feeling condemnation, or you're feeling excitement. Or, or So who... Who are those people? Who are those people when it comes to you? Maybe that one hits a little bit close to home. Let's talk about an easier one. I did a series on this a a few years ago, and people left the church. That's how easy this one is. If you're white, and I can ask this because I'm white, in case you were wondering, I I am. (laughs) If you're white, are black people those people? Are they? Are black people those people, or are they your people? See, for me, for the longest time growing up, black people were those people. You don't go near those people. You don't talk to those people. Those people always do this. These, those people won't do that. Those people won't do this. Those people, you just stay away from those people. And then I had conversations with people like Grady, conversation with a friend of mine named Ty, a conversation with a guy named James, conversations with, with, with countless others. And those people became my people. Because, see, it's difficult to categorize people when you can call them by name. Do you understand that? It's difficult to categorize people when you call them by name. Let's keep going. This is fun. I told you, right? Gay people. Are gay people those people? Are they? Because as long as they're those people, once again, I've said this before, when you categorize, you demonize. Are they those people or are they your people? Because see, once again, over years of having conversations with people like Sarah, conversations with people like Mike, and conversations with people like Sarah, those people became people with real names and real faces, and they became my people. We can keep going. Democrats. If you're a Republican, we love Hannity and Rush and hate everybody else, right? Are they those people or are they your people? 
Iowa State fans, Hawkeyes, are they the, well, you know, there's a line that you need to draw. I get that. Those people are people too, Pastor. I, I don't know. Anyway, he, here's the point. To Naomi, Ruth was somebody that she needed to show the grace of God to. Don't miss that. Ruth was somebody she needed to show the grace of God to. To Boaz, Ruth was somebody that needed to have the grace of God extended to them. That's what happens to a body of believers when we refuse to say it's us and them. No, 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 no. Those people are our people. By by the way, isn't that what Jesus modeled? Isn't that what Jesus did? If anybody could have said those people and my people, it was Jesus. He could have said, these are my people, and those are those people, and we don't talk to those people, we don't associate with those people, we want nothing to do with those people. But he didn't do that. Not only did he not do that or say that, the Bible says he came from heaven. Like, he came here. He humbled himself. And you see, that's one of the biggest problems in Christianity today, is we will not humble ourselves to the point where those people can become our people. And listen to me, at the end of the day, all of us, every one of us, every one of us are in the same boat. Every one of us needs the grace of God. Every single one of us needs the grace of God. Let's keep moving. We need to see what happens next. Verse 3. Now, Ruth is about to give her some dating advice. All right, this is crazy. And, and, and this is the first piece of advice she gives her. Look at this. Do as I tell you. Take a bath, which is awesome advice. You're getting ready to go on a date, especially if you're a dude. Like, you're going on date night, even with your wife. And it's like, hey, clean up because you stank, dude. You really do. Put on some deodorant and some smell good because you're nasty. Take a bath, put on perfume, see, and dress in your nicest clothes. Now, this is where it gets weird. This is crazy. Then go to the threshing floor, and don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. I'm going to point something out right here, and I'm going to let you know. They ain't drinking Capri Sun and Kool-Aid, all right? They're not having a Coke and a smile. They're drinking wine. They're going to a party. I'll show you that in a second. I've got to point that out because people are always like, there's no drinking in the Bible. Oh, oh, just wait. Watch this. Verse 4. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go out, uncover his feet, and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. This is jacked up. Is anybody giving this dating advice to their daughter, yes or no? Hey, sweetheart, I know your boyfriend and his friends are going to go out and they're going to go to a party tonight and they're going to have a bunch of beers. Here's what you need to do. Hide yourself in the bushes. He's going to get drunk and he's going to go back to his tent. When he goes back to his tent and passes out, go lay down next to him. When he wakes up, just say, I'll do whatever you want. Is anybody giving this advice to their daughter, yes or no? No. I'm shooting that dude in the face. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Love my little girl. I'm not telling her to do this. So there's got to be something more to this story that we don't see, right? I, I, think, it's, I think it's a couple of things. Um, first, remember in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi walked away from God, but, but God is drawing her. She hears that God is doing something amazing, and so she's coming back to God. So she's beginning to understand in her journey a few things about the grace of God. And I think the reason that Naomi says this to Ruth is, is because she trusts God so much that she knows that in the end, God is going to work everything out for good. It doesn't make sense on the surface. This really doesn't. But Naomi saw something deeper going on, and it caused her to give Ruth what looks like to us on the surface bad advice. The reason I'm saying that is because sometimes what God is leading us into doesn't make sense. Oftentimes, the next step that God is calling us to take does not make any sense. 
Listen, everybody's not going to understand it, but at the end of the day, if God says to do it, we're not responsible for making sure everybody understands. We're just responsible for our obedience. Sometimes God's going to lead us into things that don't make any sense. Because listen, like on the surface, this is bad advice. Not only is it bad advice, Ruth does it. Look what she says. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. Do you have any friends like that? Like, is there anybody in your life that you trust that much? Ruth trusts Naomi that much that she'll just say, I'll do everything you say. You know why? Because I believe that she saw that Naomi was full of God's grace. And Naomi wasn't going to tell her to do anything that was going to lead her into harm. At the end of the day, that's the kind of friends we need to have, and that's the kind of friends that we need to be. And, and that's another message for another time, but that's something that we really need to look at. Do, do we have people in our lives that we look at, and they're so full of the grace of God that we just, we just trust them? The Bible says this. She went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. This is where it gets crazy. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, everybody know what that means? Everybody know what that means? Like, I'm not going to try to clean this up for anybody. This means Boaz was drunk. I ain't excusing it. I'm just telling you it's in the Bible. Boaz is hammered, speaking cursive, got lampshade on his head, singing Garth Brooks. That's what's going on right here. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain. Dude couldn't even make it home. If you don't read the Bible for like how the Bible is written, you're missing out on so much, man. He don't even make a home. Pass out. The pile of grain went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up. You ever had that in the middle of the night? Just suddenly wake up? It happens to me. Like, you just suddenly wake up. I don't know what you got to do. You just, just suddenly wake up. You ever done that like when you're driving down the road? Just driving. Just, whew. It's like... That's the best two seconds of sleep you'll ever get in your life. Am I right or am I wrong? Like, it's just the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Boaz, look, at the, I got to keep, keep on track, Ryan. Uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz woke up. So, so God's working here. God is moving. L- listen, we see him moving in, in, through the fact that, that Ruth took a step. And her taking a step, when she did that, God began working in the life of Boaz. He woke up, turned over. He was surprised to find a woman laying at his feet, as would all of us, right? If you went to sleep and you woke up and there's some chick laying down at your feet, you're like, what? I don't What do you do? This is weird. But don't miss this. Something is going on in Boaz's life, and we get a glimpse of it here in this next verse, verse 9. Who are you, he asked, because, you know, he's still a little foggy. What's going on? I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Stop. I can think of a lot of things in this situation that a dude might say to a girl. The Lord bless you is not even in the top ten. Like, serious. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it says something about me. I'm, I'm not sure. But the Lord bless you is not in the top ten. But don't miss this. Here we get a glimpse. The heart, the grace, Boaz. Seriously, because his first inclination isn't to take advantage of the situation. It's to show her the grace of God. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz explained. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing. That right there is huge. That right there is something God wants to say to somebody today. That, this, like, listen, there are people here right now, you're obsessed with worry about a situation. It might be COVID, 
It might be a financial situation. It might be an emotional situation. It might be in a relationship situation. The thing that God wants you to see is this verse right here where it says, now don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about a thing. Now this is where people will push back, and I get it. I understand. Ryan, you can't tell me not to worry. You don't understand what I'm going through. You're right, 100% legit. I have no idea what you are going through, but I know a God who knows exactly what you're going through, which is why I can say with confidence, he says, don't worry about a thing. I get it. I get it. That doesn't make the worry go away. I get that. But let's let's keep going because I want to show you why. Don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. Listen, God, when it comes to his children, is always going to do what's necessary to help us see our next step. God is always going to do what's necessary to get get our attention, to help us see what our next step is. He said, I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it is true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. In ancient Israel, when a man died, his widow was married by the next of kin in order to keep the family name. That's what's happening right here. Keep the family name going on. Usually it, it was a brother. And Boaz is saying, while I am in line, I'm, I'm second in line. There's, there's somebody first. Ruth had a plan. And it didn't work out exactly the way she thought it would. Has that ever happened to any of you here? You had a plan, but your plan didn't work out exactly like you thought it would? That ever happened? Like you planned on the kid. You didn't plan on the teenager. (laughs) Big difference, right? You planned on the wedding. You didn't plan on the divorce. You planned on the job. You didn't plan on the layoff. You planned on the good life. You didn't plan on the corona quarantine. I mean, there are all kinds of things that happen in life that we're not prepared for. But don't miss this. Just because you're not prepared for it doesn't mean that God's not prepared for what we didn't plan for. Just because we didn't prepare for it doesn't mean that God's not prepared for what we didn't plan for. That's why he's God and we're not. See, things aren't going according to plan. It's not going according to Naomi's plan. It's not going according to Ruth's plan. Isn't it frustrating for those of you who are control freaks? That's me. I'm a control freak. Isn't it frustrating when things don't go exactly how you want them to go? That's what's going on in this story. Verse 13, stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. That's not what you want to hear from the guy that you think you're going to spend the rest of your life with. This isn't going according to plan. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. In other words, this is what he's telling her. Hey, sorry, girl. I'll take care of it. I know it's uncertain. I know it's unstable. I know you don't know exactly what things are, how things are happening right now. I know you might not even be pleased with how things are happening right now. But at the end of the day, I'm going to take care of it. I think that's maybe what God wants to say to somebody today. To somebody who's maybe in the middle of a situation that you never saw coming and you don't know what to do. There's doubt insecurity, uncertainty all around you in every situation. And all God wants you to hear today is, hey, I'm taking care of it. You don't need to worry. I got it. I'm taking care of it. But God, I need a sign. Sometimes God doesn't show us signs, but we can rest with certainty. We can rest with certainty, church, that God has taken care of it. Because the Bible goes on to say this in verse 14. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. She got up before it was light enough for people to recognize for Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. He's protecting her reputation here. That's what's happening. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. 
Then he returned to the town. So not only has he told her everything's all right, he's blessing her along the way. And I want to say this. A lot of us, a lot of us are in a situation in our life that we never thought we would be in. A lot of us have experienced setbacks. A lot of us have experienced disappointment. But at the end of the day, as you look back, haven't there been times where God has still been good to you? I mean, hasn't he blessed us along the way? Sure, we might not have exactly what we wish we had, but at the end of the day, we don't have what we could have had. Because all of us have that story, right, of what we could have had, where we should be. Man, I should be dead. I should be in jail. I should be, all of us have that. That's another message for another time, but we all have that story. Because look at this. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six, these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So dude is smart. Not only is he taking care of Ruth, he's trying to make mama happy too. Like just a little something in there for guys. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. This man won't rest until he has settled things today. Don't miss that. That's huge. This man won't rest until he has settled things today. The reason that's huge is because Jesus said in John 5, 17 that God is always at work, that God is saying, hey, don't worry, I'm gonna take care of it. But at the end of the day, like I said, there might be people here, your life isn't going exactly as you planned. Things aren't going exactly how you planned out. But you know what? God's at work, and he won't rest until things are settled, even if it feels like he has left you on red. As a follower of Jesus, I can't be the guy that goes out and kicks and screams when things don't go my way. I have to look at where I was and how far I've come and thank God for the difference. That's grace. At the end of the day, you might not be exactly where you thought you would be, but you need to take a look at where you are and where you were, and you need to thank God for the difference because it's grace that makes up the gap of where we are, where we come from. That's, that's grace. It's the grace of God that, is, that has carried us. It's the grace of God that has given us the ability to bounce forward. For Ruth, we're going to see next week, it's incredible what the grace of God allowed Naomi to show her, what the grace of God allowed Boaz to show her. And in this story, throughout this entire thing, I don't know about you, I don't know where you've been at in this story, who you identify with the most. I identify with Ruth, not the person that extended the grace of God. I'm the person that desperately needs the grace of God. So, a couple of questions and I'm done. Number one, do you have anybody in your life who are those people? Don't talk to those people. Stay away from those people. Don't go near those people. Don't have anything to do with those people. Do you have any, any, anybody in your life who are those people? Because at the end of the day, as a follower of Jesus, it's not supposed to be us and them. It's supposed to be us, period. Number two, who do you have a hard time showing the grace of God to? Who do you have a hard time showing the grace of God to? Because listen, we all got that person. We, we, we do. We, li we do. And listen, this might be an opportunity for us to step into the uncomfortable to experience the supernatural. Because I'm telling you, when you begin to extend grace and you begin to show grace to people you don't think deserve your grace, man, God does something supernatural in your life. Number three, have you ever experienced the grace of God? Have you ever received God's grace? Have you submitted your life, your whole life to Jesus? Because see, that's, that's where grace begins, is by Jesus Christ working in us and through us, and we can't have that happen if we've never, 
if we've never received him into our life, if we've never accepted that gift of grace that God offers us, which is his son, Jesus Christ. Number four, the last question, are you thankful? Are you thankful? We talked about this last week, practicing the presence of thankfulness. Are you thankful? Because even though you're not where you think you should be or where you want to be, you're not where you could have been. And at the end of the day, for me, that's what I've got to celebrate because that's the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. God, you are so good to us. You have, you have shown us patience and kindness. And man, God, even when we're, when we're not obedient to what you want us to do, you, you are still with us, extending your grace to us. God, I pray over the next several minutes that, that we would take a moment to be able to be thankful for that. That we'd be thankful for your grace. That we would be thankful, God, that, that maybe we're not where we think we should be, but we're exactly where you would have us. And, and none of us are where we could have been because of that grace. Because of you bouncing us forward. Because of you pushing us to go. Church, maybe you're sitting here and, and, and you don't really know what your next step is. And I would challenge you and encourage you to just take a moment and just ask God, God, what is my next step? And then when he speaks it to you, that you would be obedient to take it. That you wouldn't think about it. You wouldn't talk about it. You wouldn't even necessarily have to pray about it. You would just, you would just go. You would just do it. We would stop being people who just understand God has called us to run a play but we're afraid to run the play like we would just take that concept and we would just run we would just go we would just God yes God give us the strength and the courage and the ability to step into what you have called us to be so we can be the people that you've created us to be so 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 we can have you do in us and through us what you want to do to accomplish greater things for your kingdom you may be sitting here and, and you're that person who who can't understand grace because you've never received grace. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. You felt it, you you, you understand it, but you've you've never you've never done it. And today might be the day that you need to just ask Jesus to come into your life and be your savior. Be the one that shows you grace so that you can extend grace to other people that's you and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and you want to do it today, just right where you sit, out loud or in your heart, you can just pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me my sins. Jesus, I, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. And I believe you did that for me to cover my sin, to cover my guilt, my shame, my disobedience. And so today, I give you my life, my whole life, all of me for all of you. Come into my life and, and rearrange it. Make me whole. Jesus, today, I ask you to be my Lord, be my God, be my King, be my Savior. 
promise you from this day forward, I will follow you the best that I can every day, step by step for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. In your name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know it. Stop at the welcome desk and, and, and let us know on your way out. Stop me, stop Pastor Gary, stop one of the staff and, and, and let us know because we want to celebrate with you and we want to help you take your next step. Everybody else, thank you so much for coming here. Thank you for, for, for coming out and, and taking the steps that, that God is, is, is moving you into. I pray for pray for everybody else and, and pray that in, in God's timing, like God will reveal to them the same things that He's that He's showing you. Um, pray that, that God continues to show you your next step and what it is that He would have you to do. And then and then church, be obedient to take it. Take that step. Take that step to, to bounce yourself forward in your walk with Jesus. If there's anything we can do to help you with that, that's why we're here. We want to see you bounce forward. We want to see you be who God has called and created you to be. We want to see you step into that. We want to see you we want to see you be used by God to accomplish far greater than you could have ever asked or imagined. So God bless you all. Thank you again for being here. I love you all. I'm so excited to have you to be a part of the Central Family. God bless you. I'll see you next weekend.